passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the May edition of The Wellness Policy. We are back. It's been another month. Jordan Goodman, how are you doing? Yes, I am well. I'm still vaccinated. That feels good. I'm going to my first concert in like 14 months this evening. So uh, something I used to do two, three, sometimes four nights a week uh, was taken away, and now it's back. I feel good, and I'm happy to be with you on The Wellness Policy way. Oh, very exciting. Are, like, is it a band that we might know or, or not? It's like a, a, a collective showcase. I think there is a jazz musician, perhaps a, a hip-hop musician as well, and uh, I think a comedian too. It should be interesting. I, I imagine like, it's, it's going to be weird, right? The moment you step into that room with a bunch of other people and experiencing this thing. I, I imagine for you, Jordan, there's going to be like a great deal of emotions probably attached to this. I would imagine so. I just uh, decided a few hours ago that this is how I would spend my evening after uh, hanging live on the internet with you and our guests today and a bunch of people, including Matty B. Um, I, yeah, this is the first time that you planting the seed, uh, making me consider how it will be. I've never been to this venue. I've been wanting to go. Uh, but yeah, I'd imagine the feeling of connection uh, through music has been a driving force since uh, I was a child. So it will be interesting to see uh, how that is brought back to the surface after a year plus of starving for it, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I feel like we're going to get a lot of these stories in the weeks to come of people like, you know, going back to the theater for the first time or just like experiencing things for the first time after a, a long period of not. But um, maybe we'll maybe even ask our, our guest this week a bit about uh, how he's been thriving through the pandemic and his name, everybody, is David Speed. He is a entrepreneur. He is a very accomplished artist. You may have seen his Brody B mural that made the rounds across Reddit and really across uh, many people's uh, pro wrestling profiles this past uh, well, over the past year. Um, and of course, he is also the host of the number one iTunes business creative podcast, Creative Rebels. David Speed, welcome to the Wellness Policy. How are you doing? So wonderful intro. Thank you, Way. Yeah, I'm doing good. I had my first uh, dose of the vaccine this morning, actually. So um, and and I'm a little bit more trepidatious about the the kind of steps back and um, the thought of going to a concert, frankly, terrifies me. I'm, I'm definitely on the side of the fence of of the people who actually really enjoyed having the alone time. Obviously, I know some people had a horrific pandemic and 
shout out to those people. Like it was not a pleasant time for a lot of people. Um, but for me, I had my my commercial work sort of disappeared. So I had just this time where I was able to experiment and just the the freeness that I, I really enjoyed that time though. I'm actually a little bit scared of everything going back to normal. So I'm I'm kind of on the fence about everything. I, I totally understand where you're coming from, because I mean, I definitely consider myself a bit of an introvert, too. And I have to say, obviously, um, the terrible, terrible um, things that people have suffered during this period, um, I, 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 I feel complete like sympathy for. Uh, but at the same time, I've, I've kind of like enjoyed being at home and being alone to the point now where I almost have some concern about how I'm going to fit back into society when I'm expected same. to go to a party and try to make small talk again. Um, thankfully something like this kind of helps, but you know, again, I, I, we've kind of said in the past, like there's no shame in like, you know, being able to say that you, you've enjoyed your time in the pandemic, you know, we Mm -hmm. all kind of make the best out of the situations we have, but it certainly seems like you have definitely made the best out of the situation that you have had, because, uh, it seems like over the past year, you've, you know, become a a really well-known and successful Instagram artist talk a little bit about what you do and um you know especially over the past year how that's really grown sure yeah it's interesting i I read something recently that said um when humans are alone that's when like depression can really set in and how what a negative thing it is and and it's all very tribal behavior of us being separated from the pack was obviously very dangerous for us when we were sort of millions of years it's in in our dna to not want to be alone and that can make you very depressed. However, if you choose to be alone and if there's something in your brain that's saying, no, this is a choice, then you can actually be really happy. So I think that's definitely for a lot of introverts. I think that's definitely what we feel. It's like there is a great analogy I heard that's um, basically like you have a battery and if you're an introvert, your battery is charged up when you're alone. And if you're an extrovert, your battery is charged up when you're other people. Um, and then so when you're on your own as an extrovert, that's when your battery's being drained. And when you're with people as an introvert, that's when your battery's being drained. And I've fa- always found that very interesting because I insert like in social situations, um, if I do like marathon podcasts and stuff, I need a break. I need some alone time after that. But um, but yeah, pandemic wise, um, I guess, yeah, I guess I made myself famous. And that sounds really silly and and, and sort of big headed to say, but um I've, I've really exploded my my art career during during 2020. Um, I I was sat down by a couple of friends of mine in the, at the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic, um, and they said and they, like early January and they sort of we had like a come to Jesus meeting to use a Steve Austin expression, and and they were just saying that I should do more of my own work because for the last 10 years I've I've run a, a mural company where I've been painting murals for brands and that's been my kind of bread and butter and through doing that I do I wasn't really experimenting wasn't really doing my own stuff um, in 2018 I painted my first piece of street art using neon paint and then I sat on the idea for two years didn't do anything with it um, the, I didn't have the motivation I didn't I just wasn't I was just too busy with work um so early 2020 I started doing a few little bits because my friends were right and I was like yeah you do love painting like maybe try and rediscover it and so I paint I was painting like once a month and then when it got to March and lockdown hit the UK I had all of this spare time and I just started painting relentlessly I painted 98 pieces in 2020 um and through just posting them on social media gained a lot of attention 
um the brody piece was was uh, obviously when brody lee died it's not like i don't really do a lot of um memorial pieces for people um but being a, a sort of huge wrestling fan um it, it's funny like i wasn't like i obviously brody was an amazing worker but really it was only after watching the AEW special on him that I decided to paint the piece just because of the man he was rather than the, than the worker. Um, and, and yeah, that, that just went ballistic. Um, John Cena shared it on his page and, and I think Randy Orton shared it and just like, I mean, Cesaro was commenting on my, on my Instagram and all of these people, Rockstar Spud and all of these people. And it was just crazy. Um, that got a lot of attention on my account and there's been various sort of different um, markers, I guess that at a certain point there's been one painting that I've done that's, that's captured people's imagination. The, the painting that, that did it the most um, has, I mean, the last I counted, it was at over 10 million views across like different shared platforms. And I don't know where it's at now. It's, it's gone. It went absolutely crazy. And it was a, a painting of a girl sort of holding like a ring light around her that was illuminated and that piece I very nearly painted over. I was um, halfway through it. It wasn't going as planned. And I phoned my girlfriend and said, I think I'm going to paint over this. And she said, no, you're being stupid like you always are. You always think this about your work. Carry on, like see it through, keep going. And yeah, it turned out to be, that was, that's when I look back on it, that was the one that kind of flipped the switch. That was the first thing that sort of really went viral um, and and really sort of started to grow my account. And then when Instagram introduced Reels in August 2020, that was really the end of it. Like that just went crazy. Um, my videos started getting shared because I'd been playing around with TikTok. So I kind of had a rough idea of how to do my videos. I'd sort of worked it out on that platform, which was kind of forgiving and nice place to be and took what I learned there, took it over to Reels. Reels, And still, if you're a content creator, uploading to Reels is such a huge thing to do because they're still giving it loads of organic reach because they're trying to take on tiktok at the end of the day it's a competitive thing um and there's there's a lot fewer people making reels than are just generally posting content to instagram so they're really pushing that stuff at the moment um and yeah as soon as i started making reels showing my process which is something that i'd never done before i'd always showed the finished work because i i kind of had this this worry of people seeing it when it looks crap at the mid at the middle stages the point where i would paint over it where i'd be like ah this is not going to plan and i didn't ever want people to see that but when i started showing that that time lapse of them coming together that's when things really changed and and yeah my my accounts are like seventy thousand followers now so yeah ridiculous and i'm able to earn a full-time living from commissions i'm getting from instagram it's crazy i think that's a really uh, helpful insight not only for uh, you know, visual artists or people in pro wrestling, but for any creator, just this idea of documenting our process, uh, whatever that process is. Um, as wrestling fans, I'm sure many of us can relate to really finding value in uh, a wrestler who may have a podcast that takes us behind the scene or a documentary uh, that takes us uh, more behind the scene to be a fly on the wall of the process of the eventual creative output, uh, typically a wrestling match in a wrestling ring. Um, David, there's so many places I'd like to go, even in the way that you, you set us up. Uh, there's easily a half dozen uh, questions I have, um, but I want to be kind of foundational, given that this is a pro wrestling community. Uh, one, I want to thank you on behalf of the pro wrestling community for uh, 
obviously uh, giving a, a, a really lovely tribute to um, an incredible person within wrestling, um, as Brody was, but also uh, helping to expose the culture, the community, the artistry of pro wrestling to a wider audience through your own creative output. Uh, I'm really curious where your connection with pro wrestling began and if you remember what it was in particular that uh, that hooked you, that made you feel connected to become really curious and interested in continuing to engage with it. Uh, yeah, six, seven years old. Um, Shawn Michael was kicking Marty through the barbershop window. It was a pivotal moment, um, as I think it is for a lot of people of, of my age. Um, I... Yeah, I just got I got completely swept up with it as a kid. Um, I'm a, a collector of toys. I've always I, I still have everything that I had from when I was a kid, um, which was not a lot. But then when eBay came along, um, I started like filling in my collections, and um, like I have a full set of Hasbro WWE figures um, from the '90s. And and um, yeah, I just got completely swept up with it. Like definitely, Hogan was a hero. Um, like they say, like never never like never meet your heroes we never have heroes because they're always going to let you down um so that was always that's always been sad and i and like there's part of me that sort of looks at my merch and is like oh do, do i take the hogan stuff out like literally to that point like oh do i really want to look at this like filthy man um but i, I guess i'm just looking at the character of hulk hogan as as like a, a comic book uh, a comic book hero which is what he was to me like i was big into masters of the universe and all of that sort of stuff growing up as a kid but um I think as you get a little bit older, that's when the when you really sort of start to understand the magic of of pro wrestling, and it's it's so rare, like it's so hard to find. But the 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 few times when it just hits you is enough to keep you coming back consistently. Um, I I mean nowadays I don't watch the WWE product. Um, I don't, I, not even NXT, I don't watch any of it at all. Um, I only really watch New Japan and AEW. Um, and, and I would say New Japan is by far and away my favourite product. Um, so I suppose over the years I got a lot more interested in the stories that are being told in the ring, aside from the the, the kind of your typical pro wrestling, like like being locked in a hearse or anything. Do you know what I mean? The silliness and the stuff, stuff like that. It was, it's really those moments when... Um, I mean, I was at, at WrestleMania, I believe you were too, Jordan, when um, when Taker lost the streak. Um, and I, I don't really remember, were you? I don't really remember any anything else from the show because I just thought and still do think it was such a bad decision. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I don't remember anything else because we were all just, like our whole section, the air was just gone. And for the rest of that event, and I was such a Daniel Bryan fan and I was massively rooting for for him to win the championship. And it just, I don't even remember what happened. Um, I remember the, the excitement of the, of the three icons coming out at the beginning, everything being so amazing to that point. And I think, I mean, yes, yeah, very, maybe dramatic to say, but I think the day the streak died, really my, my faith in WWE died. It's like so silly, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's those moments, those, those things like the barbershop window, um, when it when it is done so correctly, whether it's a turn like a face turn or a heel turn or or collusion or um, I, I remember I think like one of my favourite matches of all time is um, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Um, 
I can't remember who Kenny Omega's partner is, but it's Kenny Omega and someone versus the Young Bucks. And just the storytelling, and it was in New Japan, and the storytelling in that match was so phenomenal. Um, that was another one of those moments. And Yeah, I think it might have been. I can't remember, because um, I, I just remember the story was so so tied to those three. Yeah. Um, and then the the Okada and, um, and Omega, the one that went to a draw, I know they've had a bunch of matches, but the one that went to the 60-second draw... Like I've, like the, that the edge of the seatness at the end of that match when they go to that to that finish was uh, that's when you sort of get reminded of like this is why we love this, and I think when someone goes oh you're obsessed about this pro wrestling and then they they come in and fucking Vince has got his bum out, then you're just like ah uh, no I I promise like there's this stuff that happens and it really does capture you and they're like I don't really see it. It's so rare, but um, but yeah, that's that's what captured me. That's sorry, it's a bit of a ramble, but well, I I think I, I'm very curious to hear about your take on on some professional wrestling that's out there because um, not only are you somebody who uh, takes part in you know um, the act of creating art, you have also dedicated your life to sort of um, understanding art through your podcast. So you you speak to a lot of people in creative fields, and I you know when we're talking every week about Monday Night Raw. I really don't know how much that show or anything that goes on. Most of a lot of it, it can be can be good. Certainly, the performers are talented as hell. But when we're talking about strictly creativity and art, I don't even know how much that show qualifies anymore. So much of it feels like it is just simply created for you know to fill the time so that they can make this money. But um, you know the the wrestling that I think does receive a lot more of that critical 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 acclaim when it is at its best really can be classified as like true art. Um, I want to maybe, you know, like, would you mind maybe speaking a bit about that? You know, you do talk about no longer watching the WWE from, but like, what do you think that distinction lies between, you know, when wrestling is at its best and where wrestling is just really just kind of being put up there? It looks like art, but I don't know how much artistic merit might be in it. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at the performers and, and like you mentioned, they're so talented, but they're not, they're, they're being handcuffed and they're not being able to do what it is that they are best at. Um, and I think that's why AEW appears to be doing really, really well is because there, there aren't those handcuffs and they, they have so much to overcome in terms of the the perceived brand value that the WWE has that they don't yet have. But, uh, but I just think on a, on a story le- storytelling level, um, for example, like the, the Brody Lee and Cody Rhodes match, um, what, like I think they was one of Brody's last matches, but when when you let's if if we take that as an example if we take Brody Lee's career as an artist he had a a long stretch in the WWE i saw him perform there multiple times nothing like great great worker but he was never put in the situation where they were like here you go you're you're obviously quite great at this why don't you go and be great and do it out there and let everyone know how great you are uh, which seems like a no brainer and then his career, the, the, like he was so celebrated when he died, and the, like maybe this is wrong, and maybe this is a this is I shouldn't say this, but I believe that it, had he died, if he was still under contract to WWE, there wouldn't have been the same. There would obviously be the same outpouring for him as a human, but he, I'm so glad that he had that last year to to really cement. Like we knew he was great because if we'd seen him before. But then he just had this this patch of like he was going through the motions, he was 
providing for his family, all very noble things. He was like, great. He was, he was doing his job. But I'm so glad that he got that last year to show his creativity, to show what a performer he was, to show that like, this dude can go, man. This dude is like one of the, like one of the best big men. He's like agile. He's like hard hitting. He can like brawl. He can, he can technical wrestle like really well. And just being able to show that instead of being a bludgeon brother with a hammer, it's like, it's, it's not like the whole bro, like the whole Mr. Brody Lee character, everything that went into that. You can tell that they were obviously, they're cracking each other up with, with funny shit, but they're also like working on like layered storylines of, of like, let's sow seeds. And we know at some point this is going to happen. And, and knowing those things down the road, rather than just turning up on a Monday and going, right, you're doing this and them going, but that doesn't make any sense. And they go, Oh, but it doesn't matter. You're going to do it anyway. And I just think as an artist, like when you go to a tattoo artist, if you say, I want, here's my rough idea, but you but you go with it. You're going to get a better tattoo than if you say, I want this bit in blue, this bit in black. I want all of my kids' names and I want these branches of this tree to represent. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the stuff that people reel off to tattooers all, all day long, you're not going to, you're just going to get a generic by the numbers performance. Whereas if you give that artist the creativity to do something with it, so this is exactly the same with me with commercial clients. When clients come to us and they want to advertise, like so, we do hand painted billboards in my with my company. If a if a client comes to us and says we want to advertise our product, but here's what you have to paint. Here's the the Pantone reference, and it's essentially we're just replicating the posters that they've got on bus stops and on the tube. Then it's just another it's just another thing. Whereas if they go to us, you're the experts, you're mural artists, paint something that's going to have impact that people are going to stop in the street and go, wow, I can't believe that's hand painted. That's when you're going to get the best results. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's taking the chains off of the creativity. You're going to get a better result. So David, I think in general, you and I definitely agree uh, more than not. I mean, I have a rockers poster behind me just a few years prior before they, uh, uh, one fateful day in a barbershop. Uh, but as uh, we're talking about creativity, we're talking about art, and perhaps to maybe kind of poke back a bit, we could have an interesting discussion around the fact of who is this ultimately for, and even another layer, who is the artist? So uh, in this example, yes, the, a bludgeon brother uh, with these oversized mallets. Uh, I think it's interesting to ask, well, ultimately, who is that character for? Uh, was it for the version of you when you were seven years old connecting with a comic book hero uh, for a current seven-year-old uh, now who sees uh, this these two big monsters with these masks and these mallets and that looks uh, uh, colorful and dynamic and would be a cool action figure uh, to own or even like that character in a comic book. I hear what you're saying as far as the artists, the wrestlers themselves being given some uh, permission to bring more of who they are to the artistry. But perhaps if, uh, you know, I'm continuing with my defense, maybe ultimately Vince McMahon or the creative team, they are the artists in the sense that they have the overall creative vision of what they are trying to uh, provide their audience and their talent are essentially uh, uh, plugged in in, in a more industrial type of way to, to play these roles. I think ultimately there is a balance that uh, 
would be more optimal. I think AEW has been infinitely more effective in that. But perhaps AEW is essentially uh, operating with a different objective in mind than WWE. Yeah. Sorry, wait, go ahead. Well, I mean, sorry, just to, to cut in there. I mean, um, so, you know, we, we are going to make references to um, this book that I, I guess we've, you know, you suggested, David, that we we uh, at least introduce into this discussion from time to time. It's called The Practice by Seth Godin. And um, one of the things that, you know, is mentioned in the book is about how um, how it, it is important to be able to have empathy for your audience and to be able to try to determine, mm, you know, doing your work for an audience is very important. Um, but at the same time, you kind of have to make sure that the, you know, the success is kind of determined about by whether or not the audience is receptive to it. And when you certainly look at the financial success of the WWE, you have all the argument in the world that, hey, Vince McMahon's vision is the right one. I suppose, like, from our perspective, we are looking at it more from, um, I think they would be successful regardless, simply because of the machine and, and the, you know, uh, that they've created. But artistically, the acclaim has not been there for a long, long time, at least when it comes to main roster. Um, and that can greatly be improved, especially when you look at all the raw material that's there. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think I think we need to give kids more credit as well. Um, I think kids are smart. And, and if you give them a, a cool, interesting storyline with characters that aren't 40 years old that they can relate to, I think they're going to. I think look at Darby Allen. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the stats, but I would imagine with seven-year-olds, he's pretty popular. Um, all, all I can, yeah, all I can go on is is seeing kids dressed as Orange Cassidy and um, and uh, um, Darby Allen in in AEW events, um, which obviously we haven't seen any for a while. But that's the only marker I have. Whereas I don't. I mean, when I used to go to WWE events in London and, and Mania and all of that sort of stuff. I didn't really see that many kids. Um, you'd see the dad was a wrestling fan and their kid was coming along. Um, but like my dad was not a wrestling fan. I was the wrestling fan, you know? And it's like, I don't think that happens. There's there's very few kids who are just like finding this organically and getting into it. Um, and that might be down to, to a three hour roar is a, is a very high barrier for entry. Um, but yeah, I mean, wrestling is such a, a unique beast. It's such a difficult thing to quantify especially when we're talking about creativity because there is always the the final master um that is the booker that is calling the shots um so then then you look at the best bookers in history um obviously vince has is vince has had genius moves in the past um he has told amazing stories um so has paul Heyman. uh i think tony khan's yet to prove himself um but i think on a on an artistic level on a creative level when you look at someone like Will Ospreay, who is currently, I think, having such an amazing run using like less high flying moves, being safer to his body, he is of and like and I feel like New Japan just lets the workers have their creative like they tell their stories in the ring. I feel like the creativity is so present and prevalent within that company and then if you look at someone like kenny omega like who obviously has a brilliant mind for this i think when you look at those artists that are allowed the creative freedom i just think i just think it's better and that's just one man's opinion um and as seth godin says in the book like 
money is also a measure of success. It's something tangible that we can put on something and say, this has made this amount of money. So yes, the WWE in that sense is the winner. They absolutely are. Um, but I think on a long enough timeline, I feel like AEW becomes the biggest the biggest product. And and I and I know that sounds ridiculous and there's probably economists that would argue with me, but I just feel and this is just a gut feeling. It's not even based on on stats or numbers or anything, but I feel that the creativity is the key is the key part. I don't think it's down to merchandising or having the best like time slot or all of that stuff. I think those are factors that are going to help and having a brand like brand recognition and and I I feel like it's building stars it's having creativity within your company i think on a long enough timeline vince has got like a 100 year head start but i feel like over as as it progresses i feel like we really see AEW become a a competitor um in the united states i think i don't see it with new japan so much i do think that is a niche product and i understand that's that's really that's that's kind of a, a, like a, a nerd artist like looking into the brushstrokes. That's really me like staring at a Caravaggio painting and really seeing like how things are put together. It's a lot. It's a lot less like. Do you know what I mean? It's a lot more intense that way. Um, but I, I do think with a with a more palatable like product, with, uh, basically an American product with AEW, I feel like they are they are onto a winner because they are embracing the creativity. I mean, sorry, please go ahead, Jordan. Thanks, Way. Uh, I think this is analogous to what you've been seeing play out with like American broadcast companies, NBC, ABC, CBS, versus uh, a company like Netflix or HBO even, where with uh, these broadcast channels, you have so many uh, people in uh, a corporate position that wants to get their hands within the creative. Uh, because there's so much at stake, uh, with stock price often being the, the, the key factor. And wanting to, quote, play it safe and trying to get consistent hits, uh, instead of trusting the creators to simply create, Netflix uh, has adopted a philosophy, as HBO did as well prior, of really giving creators the freedom to be themselves and to see their vision through. And I think, as a rule... Uh, the, the artists, the creators uh, that are allowed to do that, that can simply show up as a more honest version of themselves and their vision uh, are going to have a much, a much better shot of not only connecting with an audience, but connecting in deeper, more meaningful ways. And to your point, David, I think having long-term success. This is a very long game. Oftentimes when you're in a corporate environment and you ultimately are playing to... Um, uh, to, to the stock game, uh, you're making short-term decisions based on the next quarter. Uh, one of my big missions uh, when I was working in a similar role at Ring of Honor, uh, I remember I was three days in, and I was in this big meeting with uh, a few dozen uh, people from around the country that essentially would be selling Ring of Honor to local businesses in order to get their ad dollars. And we had Mark and Jay, the Briscoe brothers there to kind of put a face and, and an energy and a personality to uh, Ring of Honor's genre of pro wrestling. And the thing that was really key for me, even in my third day, to uh, express to these salespeople were that uh, Mark and Jay 
are not just whatever your perception of pro wrestling is. These people don't know wrestling, and if they did, it was probably uh, whatever Hulk Hogan was in 1990 or whatever. Uh, what I wanted to express to them was that you know those two gentlemen were professional athletes that trained uh, and that they were professional uh, craftsmen uh, that really uh, honed a skill and they were professional performing artists that understood storytelling and how to effectively connect with an audience emotionally. And the way I really tried to position Ring of Honor uh, was there was a more uh, a clearer focus where WWE may be more like Disney in that they're trying to please six-year-olds and 60-year-olds. But Ring of Honor was more intentional in that uh, 18 to mid-30s uh, male viewer. So because of that, we, were, we could be more like an HBO. We could be a bit more realistic. We could be a bit grittier. And thus, there was more focus on who the target customer was. Uh, and therefore, I felt, it, it, you know, ultimately, it should help the creatives be more intentional. And it should help the salespeople be intentional more uh, as well about who we're actually selling to. So I guess to bring this back to Seth Godin's point, uh, or uh, one of the many uh, points that he's riffed on throughout his entire career, including this book, The Practice, uh, which I highly recommend, um, if we try to please everyone, it's hard to please anyone in a meaningful way. I think, uh, but AEW, uh, to, to what we've uh, already like uh, agreed on, I think has figured out a formula where an Orange Cassidy or uh, a Darby Allen, I think can be really effective to an eight-year-old and, and a 54-year-old as well. Um, but it is difficult when you're trying to please uh, the most amount of people. It makes it more difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly agree. I, I, I think, um, you know, when you look at, like, the, the breakdown of the ra uh, ratings every single week, you, 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 you know, we talk about where they're lacking and we're we talk about where they could do better. But I think ultimately trying to cater you know a show to everybody um there's been a lot of talk of like something like blood and guts you know maybe driving away some of the female demographic um but at the same time you have a lot of people who want that stuff so you know do you take that away just to kind of rise that number up at some point you kind of have to commit you know to put promoting yourself to one certain demographic um just to maybe talk a little bit more about the book itself and how it relates to you david i mean the book the practice really is um the author's sort of like um, you know, uh, encouragement of rather than relying on the muse to inspire an artist to get the work, relying on just um, a routine of consistency, you know, treating your work as if you're a professional and doing it regardless of whether or not you feel like it. So I was curious for you, what rules of consistency do you have for yourself in your art? Yeah, so I, I realized that if I was going to make a success of my art career as a as an individual, um, which is, is funny because it's not something that I'd ever thought of before. I, I have my mural company, which is, is still exists and is still doing well. Um, and I'd never really thought about stepping into the limelight until it just sort of happened because I had this time and I started putting my my work out there. Um, I knew as soon as it was kind of, starting to become obvious that this was going to be a thing. Um, I knew that consistency would make it or break it. Uh, that's why I ended up painting 98 pieces um, in in that last year. Um, I think that when I, when I wake up, 
at like 6am and I'm in my nice warm cozy bed the last thing I want to do is go outside and stand in the cold and paint it's literally the last thing I want to do as much as I love painting to actually go painting takes significant effort on my part so I've kind of like tried to bake into my personality that I am a person that does the hard things that I I wake up and and okay it's go time I would love to lie here for another hour scroll on Instagram and and just be lazy but what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up I'm going to go into the studio and I'm going to look at a blank canvas and I'm going to see what what happens so I think consistency is is really for anyone who wants to make it as a creative it's it's the one thing that you can control um it's the one thing that if you can carve out a certain time every day to make then over a long enough timeline something comes from that and i mean so on our show we always use the analogy of a, of a watercolor painter i don't know why it just came up as an, an analogy and it stuck but the watercolor painter he gets up every day and first he starts and he sucks because whatever you do for the first time you will completely suck at um and it makes me think of you way like I, I used to listen to you on the law and like initially you were on the show for like a few minutes just like putting calls through and stuff and it's like gradually you become more confident talking on mic to the stage where now like a significant part of your career is is your podcast but that doesn't you don't just like dive straight into a thing you do it and then you get better at it and you do it some more um and it's really like the the work ethic the showing up is really the one thing that is always going to make it because everyone talks about like natural talent and so-and-so is good at this. And I think the only thing where natural gifts come along is when you are, when there's something in your body that comes to sports that makes you a better athlete. But I believe that everything else, whether it's music or, or um, art or poetry or dancing or whatever it might be, if you put enough practice into it, you will, you will get good at it. It's just, I've seen it over and over again. I see it every week with every guest that I, that I interview and Seth Godin, who's, who wrote the book that we're we're discussing he has written over 6000 blog posts he writes a blog post every single day and that's why when you have a conversation with him you you just go oh shit when he says something because he is so good at formulating his thoughts because he does that every single day so he will say in one sentence what i've just rambled off in the last 5 minutes he will say with a few words that will have a much deeper impact than anything I just said that will hit you in your brain and your heart at exactly the same time and you'll just go and the key will be unlocked and you'll just go, oh my God, you're right. Because every single day he shows up and writes a blog post. So he knows what he thinks because he practices thinking every single day. I can paint to a reasonably high level because I do it every single day and I make sure that I keep going. And I'm not good at a lot of stuff. I'm pretty crap at most stuff. But painting, I know that I've got skills there, so I keep building on those to become better at those. And yeah, luckily I can survive on that. I can that's my job and I can I can make it work for me. But the consistency is what keeps me going. And also I think it's what it's what motivates me. It's like I, I think a lot of people sort of talk about like, oh, I'm gonna get this job and then I'm gonna be earning this amount of money and then I'll be able to do this and then I'll be able to retire and stop doing the work and like I don't ever want to retire 
Like I want to do this so that it allows me to keep doing this. Joining, there's not an end point. I just like doing this. So I just want to keep painting. And I'm the one in control of that. I just do it every day. So I think that the, the key balance that perhaps you've been striking in, in, in this recent period of, of your life and career is, yes, the painting is something that is naturally energizing for you, perhaps. It's something that you really enjoy. So you've chosen that as the practice, even though there are going to be many days and many instances in which you just don't feel like doing it. But because you have uh, some level of commitment to the practice, and it's something that big picture you ultimately enjoy, I I think that helps keep you going and also not being so focused on what's the outcome. How can I become uh, just chasing the money or chasing credibility or chasing uh, adulation or, or these other external things that ultimately are not in our control? I mean, part of being a creative and sharing something with the world, uh, the, the, the deal is that it may not work. Someone may not enjoy it. Someone may not want to engage with it. Someone may just not see it for whatever reason. Uh, but I think you've really struck a nice balance in, in finding something that is energizing for you. Uh, I'd imagine it, it helps you feel like you're expressing something true within yourself, uh, but maintaining the consistency of the practice. Uh, with consistency in mind, David, uh, I, I'm wondering, uh, not only have you been consistent in, in the behavior of creative output, but from a branding perspective, you've been very consistent in the, the general aesthetic of what you share publicly uh, with the neon paint, with a particular shade of red. Uh, I'm wondering uh, where that intentionality came from and if you ever feel pulled to uh, perhaps change that up a bit, but you've decided not to because of the uh, inherent wisdom of consistency. Yeah, sure. Um, so I am really, really, really patient. Um, and I'm patient in terms of knowing that if I do something for long enough, the the opportunities will come. Um, knowing that the money will come. Uh, there's 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 always that question that you get asked in interviews, like, what would you say to your younger self? And I, I did a lot of reflection on that question because I've been asked it a few times. And I just really think it would be going back and saying, you just want to know that everything's going to be okay. And I think through a sort of, I've been painting for 20 years now. So I think through the, the experiences of the last 20 years, I've, I have enough um, experience to just know it, it will be fine. It will work out. Um, so, and because of that, that gives you a certain confidence where you can be patient because you know, it is, it is coming. Um I mean, I was, I was prepared to be a lot more patient, like in terms of like when we, when we look at my Instagram, as soon as I sort of started growing on there, I gave myself a year to get to 10,000 followers. Um, and I thought that that was an outlandish goal because I'm, I'm a goal setter and I like to set like really, really ridiculous goals because it's, it's so weird and I'm not spiritual or anything like that, but it does seem that when you write down a goal Um, you either achieve it or you smash past it, which is very interesting. And I think there's a lot of neuroscience that goes into that of it's, it's running in the background and you keep going. And so, so your brain's always making the decisions that are going to push you further forward. But I, I did, I expected to get to, to try to get to 10 K in one year. Um, and I managed to get to, to 50 K, but I was not making work 
to grow on Instagram. I was making work because I enjoyed making the work. Um, I knew that at some point I was going to have to monetize it. So I couldn't be that patient. Um, but I mean, I've got my podcast and stuff. So I've got, do you know what I mean? I've, I've got, I'm okay. Like I, I had a safety net, uh, which is one thing that I always recommend for creators, like especially people who are sort of thinking about leaving the nine to five is always have that, that six months to a year safety net behind you because it gives you the freedom to, to experiment, see what's working. Um, and if you are not earning anything for six months, like you'll realize it just puts you into just a really brilliant position because if you haven't made anything after six months, then maybe you can reflect and go, well, maybe I didn't make the right choice because if you work consistently for six months on something that you're already good at, the chances are you are going to be able to bring some sort of revenue from it. Um, but yeah, in terms of the color, um, I paint only using neon pink spray paint, um, cameras turn it red for some reason. Um, but the, I am very, very patient and I've realized that when people visit your Instagram or your social media or whatever, it's very nice for them to have, to know what they're going to get from you, which is very difficult if you just have stuff that's all over the place. Um, I painted photorealism for a number of years, um, so big murals that look like a photo as much as I possibly can. Um, And I tried that a few times and it seems like the people who have been doing that for a long time have got big audiences but because it's not really anything new, the people who are trying to do it now, it doesn't it doesn't really have the same traction. So I knew I needed something different. Um, I really enjoyed the the experience of using neon paint because it's very challenging. It behaves very differently to traditional spray paint that I'm used to because it has different pigments in it. It's it's a different weight. It's just it's just different. So I was enjoying the challenging of learning a new medium within my old medium, um, and at some point. I will blow everyone's mind by all of a sudden changing the color and all of a sudden I do neon yellow. And I know that that will be a massive moment when I do it, but it's going to be more of a moment. It's like a heel turn. Like when you see it, like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But then when it finally happens, the longer that you've drawn that out, the better. So, um, but again, you can go too far. So I'm not going to go too long so that it's weird when it changes, but all of a sudden at some point I will change. Um, But I unless I just get bored you know unless I'm just like I find a new route of painting and I'm like like nothing is set in stone I have like this rough path that I'm following but if all of a sudden something comes along and uh, it's like I got I got asked by um Beats by Dre recently they were like oh we want to do something with you uh will you do it in a different color and I was like no unless you want to pay me enough to change my color so do you know what I mean like I everyone has their price million dollar man i learned that when i was six years old um if they want to pay me enough to change my color then maybe i will so i'm always open to seeing where things go but for now i know that consistently um pumping out neon pink paintings is working and i think it has a lot more shelf life to keep working for me so i'm gonna go i'm patient i don't need to change it i'm enjoying it and i'm gonna keep going down that road I think that's brilliant and insightful. Uh, perhaps switching to yellow could be uh, akin to a heel turn. I immediately thought of Bob Dylan going electric in, in a similar sense, uh, where you're going to get uh, some blowback, but perhaps that was a move that helped uh, cement uh, a, a legendary career. Uh, what I do love about the fact that you have been consistent uh, with the neon pink is that I could look at your work anywhere else in the world 
and just know it's yours. I feel like you've been consistent enough to have created uh, a visual identity where anyone can say, oh, that's, that's a David Speed mural. Um, I think yeah, I don't once- even sign them anymore. Like there's a, I've got a lot of pieces in London that don't have my signature on um, because I've been doing enough around here now that people kind of know my stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I painted illegal graffiti for 10 years and uh, from like 2000 to 2010. And I, at, at that point, sort of realized the strength of, of a visual identity of something that people can, because everyone was writing their names and we were making work that was on the train tracks. And there'd be times where you'd be trying to read it, but you'd be going so fast past things. I was like, I want to I wanna do something. So me and a couple of my friends came up with this symbol that we used to paint that said everything without actually saying it. So that's something that comes from my graffiti days is like I realized I wanted something that was like instantly recognizable, but also gave me the freedom to paint a variety of things that I wanted to paint. But keeping it all within the same color would mean that I could get instantly recognized for that it was me. Now, I want our listeners to recognize that uh, you may not be a, a, a painter uh, or a spray painter, perhaps, uh, but perhaps there is a pro wrestler listening or perhaps there's a lawyer uh, or perhaps uh, there's someone with a, a house cleaning business like these principles of branding are universal and translate uh, or you're a politician or you want to start a nonprofit whatever it is uh, that we want to connect an idea a service a product uh, with a market uh, these principles apply no matter uh, what we're trying to connect with uh, whomever audience we're, we're hoping to serve. Uh, I think with you, it'll be interesting for you to decide when you feel like your market is at that point where you've really reached a, a certain level of uh, identity where you can go to yellow and everyone will still know whose it is. Yeah, yeah, that would be dope. Yeah, it's it's consistency of character, isn't it? It's, it's, um, it's like if Way all of a sudden was to start like, screaming and hollering and getting like super excited and arguing with john like you'd just be like this is not this is not the show like what what's happening do you know what i mean it's not it's I not like consistent that that's, that's the um kind of parallel of me switching to yellow would be would be me <laughs> suddenly screaming yes yeah um you know i, I i'm really curious because like you kind of talk about how okay when you are ready to switch your style you will kind of do it on your own now how much we talk about the importance of knowing, I think, what your audience wants. And perhaps, thankfully, the audience wants what style you want to, you are presenting right now. Um, do you have concern that maybe the audience wouldn't care for yellow? And and really, what would be your, your gauge of whether or not something was su- successful? Yeah, um, I don't I don't have concern because I feel like. So I did not expect this. Like I said, I thought I thought 10K in a year if I'm lucky. Um, there's kind of a part of me that chose Neon Pink on purpose almost as a rebellion because it's Neon Pink at the end of the day. Like I didn't, I, I, I almost wanted to go like, I almost wanted to go like anti-graffiti with it. I was like, what's the least graffiti thing that I could do? Because I hate graffiti. I hate the, like, I was in it for a long time. Um, and it's a, a very strange subculture and it's not something that I, I particularly like enjoyed while I was in the middle of it. 
And I thought, what's the... I, which for me just is is down to people behaving like they're gangsters when all they do is paint on walls. Um, and that to me, I just always thought was crazy. It was like, it's, it's art, it doesn't make you a bad man. But I think, so when I chose Neon Pink, I was like, that's, it's so far from this macho perception of what a of what a street artist or a graffiti artist is because i i want to talk about things like kindness and things like racism and things like i I, like these are the things that i want to talk about with my work and i hadn't really seen any street artists that were kind of brave enough to step out of that sort of uh shadow of like always being the like super cool street artist so i was like do you know what fuck it let's not be super cool Let's be neon pink, which is gaudy, obnoxious, um, and like just I don't know. I didn't I didn't think that as many people would like it as they have. It's it's actually it really surprised me. I didn't. There's certain things I I could have done that I know would be a, a hit. So, for example, I got um, I had so many comments when MF Doom died. Paint an MF Doom portrait. You should do MF Doom, and it's like. I could have done that and I know that it would have got shared in a bunch of places and I know when that happens that I get like a thousand followers, two thousand followers plus from from when something like like what happened with the Brody Lee mural. But I was not never a fan of MF Doom growing up and I just feel like at some point I'm gonna be in, in in an interview with someone and they're gonna go, Oh, what's your favorite MF Doom track? And I'm gonna go, uh and I'm gonna be completely caught out. Whereas you can say to me like about Brody Lee and I could talk about him for ages because it was someone that I actually was a fan of. So um I think for me it was like always about kind of keeping that authenticity and talking about the things that I wanted to talk about. For me it was a brave choice to go with Pink and I and I expected it to get rejected by people. I thought they'd go, why would I like this? It's Pink. Um but it turns out that people did like it and I'm just grateful I guess. Just really like it, it went so much better than I ever thought it would. I think that's a really nice example of uh, the first part of this book, The Practice. And I'd, uh, Seth Godin is, I don't put many people on pedestals, but he is one of the few. Uh, his book from over 10 years ago, uh, Lynchpin, was literally a blueprint uh, when I was in grad school to figure out how do I build a mental health career as a drummer and maintaining the things that give me a natural energy and help me feel like myself as I engage uh, and serve in the world. Uh, I, I, I heard in, in, in one of the interviews uh, that, that when he was promoting this book, The Practice, that he almost called the book Trust Yourself, which is uh, the first section of the book. And I think what you're talking about, David, uh, of saying no to an MF Doom project, uh, but clearly saying yes to a Brody Lee project, uh, is an example of trusting yourself. It, this is who you actually are and, and, and what you naturally want to fuck with. And I think uh, you just having also this trust in the process that things will play out the way they do and you will be fine. I think this is all wrapped up into a, a an inner conviction that you have to uh, follow uh, who you are naturally in the world. Again, you have... Uh, and I'm curious where, where maybe some of this came from, you, are, you seem to be a natural business person. You seem to be a natural creative entrepreneur. You understand uh, basic tenets of branding and marketing and business, uh, uh, so it seems. Uh, you mentioned uh, 
everybody has a price. You learn that from pro wrestling. Uh, I spent my formative years as a late teen finding, um, you know, some relative success in rock bands. And I would often say publicly, even back then, I learned just as much, if not more, about success in, in being in a rock band from the performance and the business, the marketing of pro wrestling than I did from other rock bands. So I'm curious in what ways did pro wrestling uh, perhaps inform you or inspire you as a creative professional um, with an emphasis on professional? Yeah, one thing I learned from Vince was you never talk about the competition. Um, that's really important. Um, I, I never did that. And, and we've had competitors that are always copying what we're doing and we have always ignored it and done our own thing um, to the point where there's been um, people who have had like, like literally identical websites with just a few words changed. Um, uh, I've, I've, been, I've seen our terms and conditions on other people's websites before, like literally just lifted it. Um, so that is, that's definitely one thing that I, I learned from wrestling. Um, and I, I think as well, this sort of, this sort of um, leads back to, to Way's question, but it's like, I, so all of a sudden I'm going to surprise people by turn, changing my colour at some point. But I think that I will have built up enough cachet with those people. Like they trust me by not doing things like the MF Doom. And like, I think a good analogy for that would be like, I, I live up to my stipulations. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to fuck my audience. They know that I'm always going to be, I'm always going to be straight up with them. And I, like, I may surprise them, but they're going to know that it's coming from an authentic place from me. So like if everyone is expecting something to happen, like it probably will happen. Um, I'm not going to let them down. And I think that's, that's, that's why now you have a, a loser leaves town match within WWE and no one, it doesn't draw extra ratings because it's, it's, it's never bit. The stipulation is never real. Um, even though recently I heard you guys talking about the, the Daniel Bryan one and it like that was real and that should have done a huge rating. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh yeah. And like the guy's got no contract. Like if, I mean, I feel, I feel like they almost should have leaked the contract situation because then mm. we would have known like, okay, this is, this is legit. Um, but because there's no, because there's no sort of not not loyalty but there's no trust in in them delivering it's like they're probably gonna screw us like that's that's how you feel like a battered wife with the wwe don't you it's like they're they always <laughs> let you down consistently um and but there's always I enough remember, to keep you coming back yeah like but until there isn't and i'm and i got to the stage where there wasn't anymore um i remember when Dolph, I was there live for Dolph cashing in the money in the bank um, that one year. I can't, like, years ago. Um, and, like, that was such a huge moment. And everyone went batshit crazy for that. And then, like, he just lost it a couple of nights later. It's like, you didn't really give it to us. You gave it to us on paper, but you didn't really give it to us. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you, again, uh, talk about the topic of creativity, I guess, a whole lot through your public speaking and also with your podcast. What made you decide to start the podcast? And I'm really curious as a podcaster myself, how you view podcasting as sort of a, an extension of your creative expression? 
so that's another that's another thing where definitely pro wrestling got me into podcasts um i used to listen to the law um i used to listen to between the ropes um on on spider host with uh uh fritz dickerman and Vito. i mean this is this is early early podcasting this this would have been god i don't know like early 2000s um I I know I know that I was definitely listening to podcasts when um when the Chris Benoit thing happened um because I just remember just like just not but I was on a train and hearing that story and just not believing what was going on um and what was that I think that was 03 and I'd definitely been listening to podcasts a few years so I've been listening to podcasts for 20 years got into them through wrestling um I didn't see myself as a podcaster but we were getting so many sort of emails from people like a lot of students. Um, and when I was a, when I was an art student, part of our course was to like reach out to different artists, to practicing artists and none of them ever got back. So it was like so hard because students are annoying. Um, so I always thought like if ever a student reaches out to me, I'm always going to get back to them. But then I started like sending out like two or three emails a week and like copying and pasting. Cause it was always the same questions and kind of had this idea of, well, what if we, because myself and my business partner, Adam, who I do the show with, um, we sort of realized, okay, we've got 10 years of business experience. We've, we've managed to not go out of business after 10 years, which most small businesses fail within, I think it's the first three years, like 95% of businesses. And then after, and then uh, there's another percentage that fail within five years. It's like, most small businesses fail. Um, and we're still, we're 11, nearly 12 years in now. Um, and through a, I mean, we started in a recession in the UK in 2010. Um, we've, we've navigated through a pandemic and we're still in business. So, um, so like kind of, yeah, in terms of like the business chops, we, we, we do have that, but ours is a creative business and we make money from creating artworks. And so we just thought, there's so many people out there that are creative or want to be creative. I mean, all people are creative, but the people that actually recognize that they're creative, those are our target audience because like Simon Sinek talks a lot about start with why maybe that, that probably be a good book for you guys to to do in a future episode, but um, maybe I'll come back on, maybe we'll do another one, but, um, but start with why is, is really important and knowing why you are doing something, why you're making work in the world. And, um, like, like that's a really big like there's a lot of people who've got really big missions ours is not to turn every human being into realizing they're creative i don't have the time or the patience to do that what i want to do is find people who think they are creative and tell them you can make it because we did and we had no blueprint and everyone told us we were absolutely crazy because no one pays for art on walls and that's what we were told and that, that that was what we started with and so 2010 the internet is not what it is today um so we just thought let's make a podcast because now using the internet anyone who has some creativity can turn it into their passion they can turn it into their job and let's just help people do that so that was that was why we got into it and again started off a little bit ropey didn't really know what i was doing still learning massively only two years in um to podcasting and i really think you with anything, I think you start to hit your stride at three years. I've, from all of the guests we've interviewed, three years seems to be the magic number of like, I did this thing relentlessly for three years and then I started to see some results. It seems to be like this classic thing. So um, luckily we've had a, a lot of 
sort of good feedback from the podcast and it's definitely doing well but at myself as an interviewer i feel like i've still got stuff to learn um but it's changed my life man it's changed my life like i got to sit down and have a conversation with seth godin the other week that's like you said jordan like on a pedestal like he's same for me he's absolutely fundamental his books have helped my businesses massively purple cow um is is massive like um this is marketing this is marketing is like just such a brilliant book um people like us do things like this it's about finding your tribe getting them around you um i found my tribe people who enjoy neon paintings they are around me and enough of those buy canvases and prints from me to make to allow me to carry on putting art into the world um so yeah man just it's it's absolutely fundamentally changed my life well i'll tell you like what i i really appreciate about podcasting is that i think any sort of broadcasting schedule automatically builds in a structure for consistency in there you're expecting you're giving your audience an expectation to expect something and therefore you have that pressure on yourself and as you just enter the system you are going to get better um so it's it's really cool to hear you not just talk about like you know your your painting but also entrepreneurship and also podcasting with very similar themes do you find I mean, they are all kind of like, you know, in, in one um, portfolio of, of David Speed. But as far as like the creative process, what connections do you find that that's similar amongst all of them? It's all the same shit, man. It's all the same shit. Like, um, we're, like we've interviewed, I, I, really specifically, I remember there's a lady who makes donuts that we interviewed and her whole business is these these really creative donuts so they're all like different shapes and sizes and colors and they're just mad like she can turn anything into a donut and remember talking to her you would think that a bunch of graffiti artists and a donut maker would have nothing in common and as she went through her story i was like yep that sounds like us yep that sounds like us yep that sounds like us the story was exactly the same and it's it's almost like that that hero's journey of of like the creative entrepreneur i feel like it's you you find something that you are interested in and then because you're interested in it you do it a bit more than you do other stuff and then as you start because you're doing it a little bit more you start to show a little bit of promise with it so you do it a bit more and then that gradually develops into what uh, i mean the word that's thrown about so much is passion but it turns into a passion it's something that you really love really enjoy doing and then you do it and you do it and you do it and then that passion starts to gain the attention of other people because you're getting really good at it and i think when you get good it's it's like the key the key thing is like you've got to be good you have to make a good podcast if people are going to listen to it and you may be shouting into the void for so long but if it's good eventually people will find it because people talk and when they listen to your show if it's good they'll tell a friend and if they see your painting and it's good they'll buy it and they'll put it up in their kitchen and then their friend will see it and it's just it's this gradual this gradual thing of people see this thing that is good they show it to other people and then it starts to grow it starts to gain momentum and that's that it's that is the creative journey entrepreneurship is absolutely critical to it because if you want to do it not as a hobby, but you want to do it as a job, then you need to find a way to make it pay. And I think that when, I mean, your your podcast exists with a Patreon type system of 
there are people that allow you to continue making your art and you can do new episodes because you don't have to worry about where your rent payment is coming from and it's the same with me i'm able to paint pieces in the street for free because i've got enough people buying canvases that i don't have to worry about being homeless and vicky who makes vicky's donuts has got enough people buying her donuts that she can carry on making more donuts and it's just that's that's where you get to eventually but you don't i think everyone wants to skip those middle stages of turning an interest into a passion and then create and then monetizing the passion they just want to instantly jump into i've got a million youtube subscribers let's go brand deals come and find me and it's a lot slower than that well, uh, just uh, say real quick for the sorry way yeah, uh please. for those in the zoom room and if you're listening live uh youtube or your podcast app uh, I see Chris Elliott just raised his hand. I know everyone doesn't read the comments, but those in Zoom, if you do want to contribute to the conversation or ask uh, David a question, uh, feel free to raise your hand and we'll get to you. Um, I, I think if you're someone listening or watching to this and really uh, you know, feeling energy or resonating with uh, what David has been sharing and thinking to yourself, like, I have something that I want to make or something to contribute to the world or to connect uh, with a certain audience. Um, I, I really recommend this book, The Practice, because uh, this is what Seth has done as a committed professional for decades now. And many of uh, the things that he talks about in this book, it's not necessarily new material for him, but he has had uh, the runway of decades of time and experience in talking about these things, getting clearer in his articulation and working uh, with tens of thousands of people around the world, if not more, and getting a better sense of in what ways can I communicate my ideas that uh, are ultimately of service to my audience that actually connect and make a meaningful change within the people interested in my work. Um, David, one of the things uh, that like, I think one of the big punchlines of this book is having a practice is helpful for us because it allows us to get out of our own way. So if we don't feel like doing the thing that day, we can rely on the practice. If we have fear of sharing something or creating something with the world, um, if we feel any sense of resistance or hesitation because of these emotions, having a, a practice to rely on, in, in his words, you know, he, uh, he doesn't write a blog post because uh, he was inspired to do so. He writes a blog post because it's Monday. Monday Night Raw, like they don't wait for inspiration. They create an episode of Monday Night Raw simply because it is Monday. So I'm curious for you, David, uh, in what ways, if ever, when you're starting a podcast for the first time, when uh, you're taking a creative chance, uh, say, with Neon Pink or whatever it may be, I'm curious if you're willing to share any of the fear or resistance that uh, you may have struggled with or still contend with, um, and in what ways that you've uh, been able to successfully navigate those forces within you that sometimes makes it uh, feel a bit more vulnerable or, or scary to show up in the world yeah sure so i live by the mantra published is better than perfect um and obviously i still have wobbles so i described earlier the painting that i nearly painted out that ended up being one of my most successful paintings to date so i still do get those 
those wobbles where and it happens with the podcast as well i do episodes where i was like ah oh, i'll listen it listen to it back and there's there's like just a massive swinging carrot that i should have grabbed and i and i let it go and i asked a different question and i should have really gone down this route instead of this route um but and and i think my your first sort of 10 50 episodes i may be worried about that but then after you've done 50 episodes and we've probably done uh i think we're coming up to 200 episodes now i think when it comes to when you've done that many episodes and no one has ever said you should have gone down this road of questioning or you messed this interview up or anything like that then that's sort of that's that's good because you're getting positive feedback from your audience and they're they're saying i because because everyone learns differently and i think we all learn from stories and the feedback that we get from creative rebels is that is that oh i listened to this person and i took this away but then someone else will take something completely different away from it and i love that so my job is just to then to to massage the hosts the the guests and just get as much out of them as i can um and and that comes back to start with why i i'm always remembering why i'm doing the podcast so if if i had someone on the show and they had they were a massive japanese pro wrestling fan my instinct would be to talk to them about japanese pro wrestling by the end of the day that's not what my audience tunes in for and i would lose them all bar maybe three or four people so so i remember okay no we're talking about creative entrepreneurship bring the bring the boat back around we can like I still have normal chats with people, but if I feel it veering too far, then I sort of bring it back round to delivering as much value to the end consumer. So realizing that my podcast is not about me, it's not about the things I've achieved with my life. It's about what the listener can get from listening to it. So always remembering that and, and trying to push the ego aside of of when a guest is talking, not like going, oh yeah, I know that. There's something I can add to that. It's like, no, let the guests share their expertise in this because this what they're fucking expert at. That's why you've got them on the show. So I'm always trying to do that and, and hopefully I'll, I'll continue to get better at that. Um, but it's all it's all a journey and I, I think that it's taken me 20 years to get to this point and I think that's important to to say so what we try and do with the podcast is condense down everything we've learned over the past sort of like 10 11 years of business and my and my whole painting career of 20 years of of so that people don't have to make the mistakes that I made along the way but then those mistakes are such lessons that really the best thing is always taking action it's always just do the thing because you're going to learn so much more by doing it than you are by listening to it on a podcast or reading about it in a book um so I try not to worry too much. I know that I'm just, I'm just doing it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw up and maybe I'll change my color and everyone will hate it and I'll have to go back to pink, but I won't know until I try it. And so I just have to have the confidence to, to try it. Not the confidence because the confidence comes from consistently doing something, having the bravery to do it. Let's go to some calls right now, and uh, if you're in the Zoom room, if you have anything to say, just feel free to raise your hand. Let's start off here with Chris. Chris, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you guys doing? Hey, Chris. Very well. Hello, Chris. Chris Pat. Pat. Uh, good evening, David. Um, I was going to ask you, as a wrestling fan, is there any wrestler in particular that has inspired you as an artist? 
Um, not so much. Um, I, I think I'm a big fan of work ethic, but when I look at the boys who are doing too much, like maybe a Will Ospreay, um, and when I look at all of his, his mental health troubles and stuff like that, then I, I, that sort of gives me pause for caution because their, their craft is so different to what I do that they're putting their bodies on the line. So, um, a work ethic of Will Ospreay can be inspiring, but it can also be really scary because I can get up every morning and paint and I'm not in a car crash. So, um, so I do like the work ethic. I, I am inspired by the creativity, but there's not one person I could say has had an impact on my career um, in, in that way. Okay. Thank you for asking the question. Answering the question. <laughs> And this has been a great show, guys. It's uh, been such an interesting listen. Thank you for Thank the question, you, Chris. Chris. Much appreciated. Um, yeah, w- you know, before we get out of here, because we have taken a lot of your time, David. Um, I, I, I guess uh, any final thoughts, Jordan? You wanted to ma- maybe mention about the practice before we, you know, move on. I suppose to uh, some some of what's coming up in future episodes. I think a, a lot of what David was sharing before uh, and perhaps how he may navigate any internal resistance, uh, David, you were sharing about generosity, about knowing who your audience is and serving them. And in a sense, that helps you get out of the way. Uh, I think that is one of the key takeaways uh, that, that I, I leave with with the, this book, The Practice in particular. Um, and it's something that I learned uh, over 10 years ago with his book, Lynchpin, um, uh, really what I took away from Lynchpin were, were four key things. Uh, stand out, give gifts, and give gifts, uh, I think that was his language at that time, for being uh, generous and of service. Uh, make connections and be remarkable. And, and as I said earlier, these are things that he's been riffing on um, and kind of fleshing out uh, throughout his career. And I think for anyone who feels uh, like they have something within them that could be generous to anyone in the world, uh, this book is is a really effective handbook uh, to not only give us uh, perhaps effective mindset, uh, but also uh, to be able to apply through our behaviors uh, in an effective way to make the change that we seek in the world. Uh, and I know everyone has something within them. Uh, it, it doesn't need to be um, perhaps as uh, a, a grand gesture like a, a mural on, on a building or a grand gesture, even like a podcast episode. Um, but even in, in small ways, even if we are not our own boss and we work within an organization, there are all kinds of ways that we can show up in the spirit of generosity uh, with more intentionality um, uh, with, with the people that we interact with day to day. And uh, again, I can't, I can't recommend a, a book like this enough to give us permission that many of us have been uh, seeking for to just begin where we are now. And for people who are curious to perhaps uh, hear more, hear Seth Godin himself speak about the book, uh, as David mentioned, there's a Creative Rebels podcast out there with his conversation with Seth Godin. Uh, Where can people check out more of your work and and everything else, David? Sure, yeah. So you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at DavidSpeedUK. 
And yeah, the podcast is called Creative Rebels, new episode every single week. And to, to echo what, what Jordan said, um, we just interviewed a lady called Erica Lee Sears, who um, creates a piece of art every single day and puts it up on Instagram. And she's been doing that for six years. Um, and she's, yeah, massive career off of that. She's just worked with Lana Del Rey. Uh, it just, it goes back to that consistency and that showing up. Um, and I remember that we had we had a lady on called Marie Forleo um, a little while back. And, and one of the things she said is that if you don't, if you have that creative thing within you and you don't share it, then you are stealing from people. And it's a, it's a lot harsher way of saying it than you said it, Jordan. But um, I do really like that of, yeah, if you've, if, if you're just sitting on this, this creative gift and you're not actually putting it out there in the world, you're, you're stealing from people. So, so be creative, put it out there, ship the work. If I can share it, look, I often experience this too, where I feel the desire to be expressive, to, to share something. And oftentimes I will wrestle with the thoughts of uh, this feels uh, like too much. This feels egotistical. This feels self-indulgent. And with just about all of the, the, the prof- professionals that I work with, I hear similar things that they're scared of being judged in a certain way. But the unlock that really helps me and, and seems to work for many of the people I work with is the idea that like, if we have something of value to share with someone uh, specific that would find uh, value in it, then to keep it to ourselves would actually be the most selfish thing that we could do in that moment. And, and it goes back to the generosity of being able to get out of our own way. Um, so, David, I, I appreciate you. I applaud you for being a, a champion for these ideas, uh, for literally walking your talk uh, on your podcast episodes uh, by creating and, and, and sharing with the world. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be uh, you know, in this chat with you. Um, when Wei brought you to my attention, uh, I listened to the Seth Godin episode, uh, was a huge fan of it, uh, listened to it again today, and, and again, I really recommend it. Um, as, as a really great way for anyone to uh, explore David a bit more, but to also be introduced to Seth. Uh, last thing I have to ask, at the start of this chat, David, you said, like, never meet your heroes. Uh, we were talking about Hulk Hogan. Uh, but I'd imagine if you're going to meet one, uh, Seth Godin would be the guy for you. Yeah, sure. So obviously I've met him via Zoom, um, which was, yeah, which was incredible. Um, and and I don't I don't mean that. I think... Um, I've met several heroes like art, art heroes that I've had that have turned out to be awesomely amazing people. Um, it's, uh, I, I am optimistic. I think most people are, are good people. Um, there's, there's, there's something about, and it's the, it's the wrestling business of like having to be a dick to get ahead, um, was so often the, the point in the old days, it seems. Um, and I think when we look at, at, I mean, I have no doubts that I don't think there's ever going to be a, a tape that comes out with Kenny Omega being an idiot on it. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think he's going to let me down like that. I mean, obviously you never know because you never, ever know. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that Will Ospreay is a good dude. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really mean uh, never meet your heroes because most people are fairly decent and cool. Jordan, what's coming up next month here on the Wellness Policy? 
next month we return a uh, date to be announced i guess we could say way we're figuring that one out yeah the schedule's a bit up in the air especially with uh some changes with uh mcu later probably switching dates and then maybe some other things so you guys will definitely hear about it on all, all of our other shows but it'll be sometime in june we will be back in june uh hey we're not reading a book this month look at that no. way uh, but we are recommending, and you and I are at least committing to watching a documentary. I believe it's one that you have watched, and I'd imagine uh, many people listening to me right now have watched as well. I have not, uh, but I'm well aware of it. It's called The Social Dilemma. Uh, it's available on Netflix. Uh, and we will be having a, a broader discussion and conversation around social media. Uh, and I feel like I am going to be coming from a position of uh, defending the, the the benefits of social media. I, I try to be an optimist with all things, uh, and I look forward to having that uh, lively conversation with you and uh, others in the post wrestling cafe. Way. Yeah, I mean, much like I think our conversation with David right here, you know, um, we will use the documentary just sort of as a way to springboard some talking points about the concept of uh, social media, what is destructive about it, um, what is beneficial about it. You know, the reason why I would even know somebody like a David Speed is through the benefit of social media. So how can we mm, use it to our advantage, I suppose, is uh, some of the broader context of what we'll be talking about. It's a topic that I'm sure a lot of people have a lot to say about, so I look forward to having that discussion with uh jordan and with all of you but uh david thank you for being so generous with your time and uh yeah we hope uh to have you on the show again yeah pleasure whenever whenever you like i'll happily come back looking forward to it david thanks so much man all right everybody talk to you next month A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.